see how God is bringing this group of people together to make an impact here in the city of Charlotte. You may not think that you're a big enough group to make an impact, but you're making an impact. And I'm excited to, to hear the reports of what God is doing through your church. Thankful for your pastor and his leadership. And thankful for the opportunity again to be with you today. As was mentioned, uh, my family served as missionaries. We were in Brazil for 15 years. Our second daughter had cancer and we had to come back to the States for her treatment. She's doing great. Uh, she was able to get through the cancer treatments and the doctor after five months said, I can't find any more cancer. That was an answer to prayer because the doctors originally told us, you're looking at probably three years of treatment. So we saw how God used prayer to be able to bring her to a healing place. But the Lord changed our direction in ministry and we worked with Bibles International, helping with Bible translation ministry in different parts of the world. And uh, after being with them for nine, almost 10 years, we were asked to serve with Baptist Home Missions and starting churches here in the United States. And after six years, I was asked if I would serve as the president of Grace Baptist Bible College in Winston-Salem. And I was enjoying that work, but COVID brought about a situation where we did not have the funding we needed for the college. We weren't able to get the students that we needed for the college. And as of December last year, the college had to close. So I had to think, Lord, what do you want now? My wife and I talked, and one of the things that we didn't say no to was moving, but we knew that moving was not at the top of our list of things that we needed to be doing for various reasons. So, Lord, what do you want? And we sought counsel, and we prayed, and it was recommended to us that we change our thinking a little bit. Sometimes we have to be shaken up to change our thinking. Thinking isn't always something that we want to do in a certain direction because we've never done it before. It was recommended I look possibly at a secular job. I said, but Lord, you called me to the ministry. And then as I began looking just to see what was available, I was pointed to a position with the city of Winston-Salem. And that position is called Language Access Coordinator. Basically, what I do is work with the immigrant population coming into the city of Winston-Salem to make sure they know what services and resources are available to them in a language that they can understand. And one of the things that is there on the list of things that we help them find resources for is faith life. You know what that means? I get to help them in their spiritual lives to give them direction of where they can find a church that will help meet their needs and be able to help give counsel if that's what's needed. For me, it's an open door of ministry. And I am able to work with the immigrant population in a way that I never dreamed was possible. And the Lord is opening doors, and I'm excited about it. The other thing that it's helped me to do is it helps me understand what many of you have to do on a daily basis. Because you see, when I was in ministry full time, I worked with a lot of believers. 
And my ministry was with people who were in ministry. But now I have contact directly with the people who need to hear the gospel. And I can understand better some of the things that folks have to face on a daily basis. It's a struggle. I listen to the language that comes out of their mouths. And it didn't take long. And they realized, they, they asked me about my background. I freely shared it. I had no problem with that. And... Uh, one of them came into my office one day and just let out a string of curse words. And somebody else came running down the hall. Don't talk like that in front of him. He's a pastor. You can't do that. Well, I didn't expect different. That's what's in their heart. That's what's going to come out. I'm not going to criticize it. No, I don't like it. But they respect the fact that I stand for what I stand for based on the word of God. They, uh, just one example, on a Wednesday night, they had planned a farewell dinner for one of our co-workers who was moving to another department, and they said, we're going out for dinner on Wednesday night, and I was getting ready to tell them, thank you, but I'm not going to be able to attend, but I'll sign a card, I'll contribute to a gift, whatever we need to do, and they said, before you say anything, we scheduled it for 5.30, and if we're figuring right, that should give you enough time to come, enjoy dinner with us, spend a few minutes, and still be able to get to church on time so you could be at the service. Thank you, Lord. That tells me that a testimony is being transmitted, that they're learning, they're understanding that people's beliefs are important. And I'm thankful for that. There's other challenges along the way, and there'll be days when I'm going to have to say, I cannot do that because, and give them a biblical reason. But I want you to know, I'm learning that the way I live my life and the way I do my work makes a difference in the lives of those with whom I work. We have uh, a good director for our department, but everyone would agree that her tendency is to save everything for the last minute. Not because she's doing it to be mean, it's just her tendency. Okay. But there are days it gets under your skin. I had other things planned. I, oh! Ever get frustrated at work? And one day, I had to write my wife a text just to feel better. You know, sometimes... She's a good helper. And I had to write her and say, it's not an easy day. And I have to keep reminding myself, yes, she may be the director of this department, but I'm not working for her. I'm serving the Lord God. And everything I do has to please him. And so whether I like it or not, it's what I have to do. And by God's grace, I'm going to do it and do it well. It helped me just to say that to my wife. And everybody else says, why don't you ever get mad at her? I said, look, she's the boss. 
if I could talk with her and share with her some things that I think might help, I'll do that. But otherwise, it's my job to do what I'm told to do, whether I like it or not. I accepted the position. I need to do the work. Does that make sense? I know better how to pray and encourage my brothers who sit in the pew with me at church. I know better how to present the word of God so it's practical for you folks, I would hope. Because now I'm walking in the shoes of those who have to go out every day and work. Sometimes it's good for us who are in ministry to do that so that we better understand what's going on in the world. The Lord is opening other doors. I have an access to Governor Cooper's office that I never expected. They call us from his office on a frequent basis and say, we need you to do such and such to help us out. Well, we got to remember, first of all, we have to represent the city, so the state isn't top priority, but if we can help out, we've been encouraged to do that. Now we're beginning to get some national recognition for some of the things we're doing in the city. I only say that because the Lord is opening doors of opportunity in places I never dreamed would be possible. So I take a deep breath and say, Lord, I'm your servant, and I'll do what you have for me. And that's what I want to encourage you in today. None of that has to do with anything with the message. I just wanted to share that with you, be an encouragement. Let you know a little bit about me, and thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus, and he's trying to be an encouragement to them, a challenge to them, and to be able to help them to carry on the work that he wants them to do. He's currently under house arrest, but in that state of being under arrest, he is not in a sense of hopelessness or helplessness. He's putting his trust in the Lord. And he's remembering the things that happened in the church of Ephesus and the things that he knows that God is doing in that church. And he's concerned about them and he's praying for them. Verse 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And then he starts into a discourse that talks about some things that God had done. And the thing that he wants to call attention to in the next several verses is the fact that God had brought together through Jesus Christ the Jews and the Gentiles to be one. That they were not separate peoples, but in Jesus Christ they are one. And he's thanking God for that and giving them a declaration about that. And we get down to verse 14. And he says, this Bible, the print is much smaller than the Bible I normally use. And so I must show my age. And I will put my glasses on so I don't make mistakes. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Remember verse 1, he said, For this reason I, Paul, and then kind of goes off on a tangent, an important tangent, to teach doctrine, but he comes back at verse 14 and he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul is praying, and he's praying for the church in Ephesus, and he's praying that they would understand the great things that God has done for them, and that they would understand that because of what God has done for them, they have great privileges and stance before him. He is praying in verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that God is his heavenly Father. You see, he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was one of the top men. But God saved him. And instead of seeing God as a judge, as he did when he was a Pharisee, he now sees God as his heavenly father. God is my heavenly father. And he goes on in verse 15 and he says, from whom the whole family of, in heaven and earth is named. I have a heavenly father and through him I have a family. Think about that. There are a lot of people in the world who struggle because their earthly families are broken in many different ways. And the relationships that they have are difficult. I have a nephew who was recently arrested. He's in jail. He's facing trial. Overall, He's a good guy, but he did some stupid things. And because of that, he has the potential of spending many years in prison. His wife is broken. His boys don't know if or when they'll see dad again. It's hard. And it's not just their family. If we look through just this community, there are a lot of families that are struggling. But you know, because God is our Heavenly Father, 
and Jesus Christ died for our sins, we have the privilege when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior to be a family. I come here today, most of you have never seen me before. Don't know who I am. But you know what? If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're my brother and sister in Christ. We're a family. And we're able to have that togetherness because of who our Heavenly Father is. And Paul was emphasizing that with them to help them understand. He's helping them to understand that in verse 16, all of this is granted to them according to the riches of his glory. God in his richness made this possible. So he's praying to the Heavenly Father. And he's praying so that they would have the power in their lives that is necessary. The last part of verse 16 says that you'd be strengthened with might by a spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened in the inner man. Strengthened by the spirit. Remember when Jesus died, buried, rose again, 40 days later on the Mount of Olives, and he's giving his final words to the disciples before he ascends into heaven. And his final words to them were the fact that they would receive power after the Holy Spirit came on them so that they could be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. The promise of the Spirit is something that we have today when we accept Christ as our Savior. And the Spirit of God gives us power to do the things that we need to do. We don't have to do it in our own strength. The power is described with the same root word that we use for the word dynamite. Now we know dynamite is a powerful explosive. Can you imagine that power that works in us through the Holy Spirit to give us the strength that we need to do. And that strengthening is in the inner man. That we would build ourselves up in the things that have lasting value. Trouble is, many of us get caught up with, and the world gets caught up with very quickly, the things that in the end really don't matter. The physical, the financial, the temporal, Nothing wrong with having a nice house, nothing wrong with wearing good clothes, nothing wrong with shopping in one store over another store. But those are not the things that are most important. What's most important is that my inner man is being built by the Spirit of God that I would be what God wants me to be. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4 beginning at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, and the abundant grace through the thanksgiving of many might overflow to the glory of God. For this reason, we don't lose hope. But though our outward man is perishing, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. 
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more passing and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to understand that God wants to build us up on the inside. How does that happen? Through his word. It's the word of God that's going to build us up. It's the word of God that's going to strengthen us. It's the word of God that's going to give us direction. It's the word of God that's going to give us the answers to life's questions. It's the word of God that makes the difference. And the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God, transforms our hearts that we should become the people that He wants us to be. That's the power that works in us. That's the change that God can make if we let Him do the work. So why is Paul wanting all this and he's sharing all this with them? Look at verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 3. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with the saints what's the breadth, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That God could dwell, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith dwelling that has the idea of settling in of being at home that your life is one where christ dwelling in you is a comfortable situation that you want your life to be one where christ feels at home we have had the privilege through our years of ministry to have many people stay in our home. And I think one of the best compliments that we have is not the food that we serve them. It's not the bed that they get to sleep in that they think is comfortable. It's when they say, thank you. We sure felt at home here. That's important. If you go into a place, and we've been to a lot of places, too, as we've traveled different places. I remember down in Florida one time, we were in a home. This dear lady had a beautiful home. And she had some of the prettiest figurines that were set out on her coffee table and on a side table. And they were fine crystal glass and our girls were three and a half and 13, 14 months. And we came in and she said, I am so glad that you're here. And I am so glad that your girls know better than to touch things in other people's houses. We were uptight the whole time. We watched. No, don't touch. Don't go near it. When we left, we just went. <sighs> she was a sweet lady. And we're thankful for the place we had to stay. 
But I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> we didn't feel at home. You understand what I'm saying? When you feel at home, you're comfortable. I could take my shoes off and I could put my feet up on the couch and stretch my legs out. I feel at home. You get the picture? What's your life like? Christ dwells in you. Is he at home? Is your life one that he is comfortable with? Is your life one where he is there as a tense guest because you've got things going on that ought not be going on? Or is he there comfortable, dwelling? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Do you get the picture I'm painting for you today? That you would be rooted and grounded in love. Firm, secure, anchored. The years that I served as the director of Baptist Home Missions, we lived out on the Outer Banks. I know. Somebody had to do it, okay? And it was amazing the number of people that came to visit us, the number of people that became our friends. We had guests all the time out there. I mean, I had some who would call me up on a, on a Monday. Hey, hey, listen, you got room that I could stop by for a couple days? Yeah, I want to come fishing. And so he'd bring his boat and bring his gear, and he said, oh, I'm bringing a couple people with me too, is that all right? He felt at home, okay? He came. His boat that he brought that time was probably the size, a little bit bigger than a normal rowboat, but not much, okay? You get the idea, it wasn't a very big boat, okay? And we went out to the sound. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, the Outer Banks is, are the barrier islands, and behind the islands themselves is a whole water system they call the sounds, which is water that comes in from the ocean, mixes with the fresh water coming in from the rivers, and it's brackish water pretty much through the whole thing. But it's a whole area that you can go fishing, swimming. It's, it's a nice area. Water isn't very deep in most of the sound. Uh, there's one area where... We were out boating one day. I didn't realize how shallow it was. They said, no worries. If something happens that this boat would begin to capsize, just jump in the water and stand up. It's only five foot deep all the way across this whole area. Oh, this isn't deep, is it? I can handle that. Uh, well, we were out at Oregon Inlet. Now, Oregon Inlet is the main area where the water comes and goes from the sound out to the ocean and back forth. The tide comes in, the water rushes into the sound. The tide goes out, the water's rushing out. When you get a lot of water going through a narrow space, what happens? It's a heavy gush of water, okay? Basic physics. You didn't know you were going to get a science lesson this morning. That's where we took the boat, Oregon Inlet, right there by the sound. And it was my turn to go fishing with him. So we were out in the boat. We got up near one of the uh, pillars for the bridge that goes over the inlet. And he said, all right, I want you to throw the anchor out. I want you to drop it, secure it, 
and we're going to fish here for a little bit. Got it. I can handle that. And so he says, now, and I dropped the anchor in. I pulled on the rope. It felt secure, and everything was fine until I turned around, and I realized that the tide was going out, and our boat was going fast as it could backwards out toward the ocean. He realized it too, started the engine, and was pushing as hard as he could to get back up to that pillar. He said, this time, make sure it's secure. So I thought I did. Put it back in. It was secure, and we sat there. There are times in our lives when it seems like nothing is going right. When we're adrift and we're not going anywhere. There are times in our lives when we just feel like everything is going to fall apart. But when we have God as our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can be rooted and grounded, secure and anchored because he's there to keep us on a firm foundation. Once that anchor was set, we weren't going anywhere. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your anchor is set and you're secure. And that is a truth that you can hang on to because God is your Heavenly Father. To comprehend and know the love of Christ, to understand the depth and the height and the length and the breadth, almost impossible for us to understand. But the love of Christ dwells in us and we can be able to understand that it is such a great love that it's never going to be exhausted. Now, how am I going to know that? You're going to know it as you experience it. I could tell you all day long how great the love of Christ is. But when you know it for yourself, when you've seen the work that God does in your life, oh, what a difference. And you can say, my God takes care of me. Special this morning. Lord, I need you. And I can know that he's there to take care of me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are that we're going through. My God is a faithful God. He will take care of me. And that love that he has for me in Jesus Christ is so vast and so great that I can trust him for everything. There's days when I wonder, am I going to make it? And then I turn my thoughts back where they ought to be and I focus on my God and his faithfulness and his greatness and his love for me and his grace and his mercy and wow. And I can say, yes, Lord, I can make it because you're my God. Doesn't matter what you're facing. God 
is a great God. And Paul wants the Ephesian church to understand that there is a difference that Christ makes because he is in your life. Then he goes on at the end of the chapter and he talks about the answers to the prayers. He's talked about who he prays to and he talks about the power that we get through the prayer and the reason for our prayer and now we look at the answers to the prayer now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end amen God will answer your prayers but it's not just an answer he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, we had our science lesson earlier. Let's go to our English grammar. Uh, actually, we're going to go back to grammar in general. This is called a super superlative. What in the world does that mean? It means that we have words that are put together to make it sound as grand as it can just because it can't be explained in any greater way you've heard somebody talk about something being the biggest baddest thing you've ever seen that's a super superlative and when you say it's the biggest baddest we're not talking about something that's terrible we're talking about something that's really good you understand what i'm saying doesn't make sense but you're trying to describe something you can't describe here we've got three words that when they're put together give us a description of how God answers prayer that we have to understand the best we can. First of all, the first word talks about it being more than necessary. When God answers my prayers, he answers my prayers in a way that is more than necessary. But it's not just more than necessary. The second word adds to it and it's incapable of being exhausted. In other words, when God answers my prayers, he answers them more than is necessary from a resource that is never exhausted. And then we add the third word to it. It goes above and beyond all of that. There's just no other way to say it. My God answers prayer more than is necessary, from a resource that will never be exhausted, it will never run out, it will always be there, above and beyond anything that I could ever imagine. That's my God. We shared with you, I shared with you about my daughter, Julie, our daughter Julie. It was shocking to go to the hospital, thought she had pneumonia, and find out she had a tumor in her chest that filled 70% of her chest cavity. She was having trouble breathing. That told us why she was having trouble breathing. It wasn't pneumonia. She had a tumor in there that was pressing against her lungs. And the doctor said, we can't operate. This kind of cancer, if we operate, it'll just 
it's like a fire. You put oxygen and fuel on it. It just roars. And we don't want the cancer to do that. So we got to treat it differently. And you got to decide you're going to stay here in Brazil or go back to the States. Figure it out. Let me know. And without saying it, basically you're saying you've got less than 24 hours to let me know what you're going to do. Wow. How do you handle that? Only thing we knew to do, Lord, we need wisdom. We need to know what to do. How do we do this? And the next day I had to give the answer to the doctor. It was a Sunday afternoon. Doctors aren't in the office. But he was serious that he wanted to know now. He gave my wife his personal cell phone. He said, I'll be at a family birthday party this afternoon, but I'll be expecting your phone call. So I called him. And I said, we're going to go back to the States. He said, when are you leaving? I said, I can't just walk out the door right now. We've got to have probably a week or so to get ready. He said, too long. Your daughter can't wait that long. I said, what are you thinking? He said, this afternoon. No way. He said, you make it as quickly as you can. Because if she starts going into distress, I will start treatment now, and then she will not travel back to the States. I didn't know what to do. I preached. Uh, we were helping in two different churches at the time. I preached at one in the morning. In the evening, I had to preach at the other one and do a baptismal service. I had all the emotion of hearing that my daughter had cancer. I was in a position where I was just, Lord, I can't do this. In fact, I was so tired on Sunday night. I dropped my wife at the hospital to stay with our daughter for the night. And some friends were there visiting. They saw me and they said, you are not driving home. You are not in condition to drive home. And so they drove me home and dropped me off. And I went in and sat in my recliner. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. And the phone rang. Missionary friend from about 12-hour driving time away said, I just heard. I'll be there first thing tomorrow morning. No. I don't need somebody coming into the airport that I got to make arrangements to go pick up and figure out what I'm going to do with you all. No. I just, I, I'm going to be honest. No. I got to do something. So I'll tell you what you can do. We need to try to get out of here tomorrow. It's a Sunday night, 10 o'clock. We need to get out of here tomorrow. Can you get our tickets for us? So here's my credit card information. Make it happen. Yeah, I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking now, how are we going to get ready to go? There's so much to be done. There's so many people i got to talk to. What am I going to do? And I fell asleep in the recliner, and that's where I stayed all night. As I was starting to wake up, and I hear this... That's how you knock on the door down in Brazil. I'm still in the, I don't want to talk to people right now. But I went out to the gate. There were 25 Brazilians who had 
taken the day off work, stayed out of school, left everything else that they had to do to come and help. And they stepped in and took over. They said, don't you dare lift a finger. You just simply tell us what to do. The lady said, you've got a lot of people here to feed. How do you want to take care of the food? I don't know how I want to take care of I just took money out of my wallet, put it on the counter. I said, you know the grocery store down the corner. Get what you need to have. Take care of it. Okay, we'll get it taken care of. And so they took care of the food. Everything was covered. And all of a sudden, we had one pastor's wife. Stands about that high. Literally, this high. She came and she said, Pastor, I don't know how to explain it. Something's happened upstairs in your bedroom, and I need you to come right now. You know what went through my mind? One more thing. No. I went upstairs, and I walked in my bedroom, and she stood at the door and went like this. Now, I'm not letting you back through this door until you set out everything that you need for you and your wife to have packed to make this trip tonight. Get to it. <laughs> I didn't know I needed help like that. But that's what I needed. My wife, I'm not saying she's a conniver, but the doctor had made it very clear. You are not to leave this hospital until you're on your way to the airport to leave to go to the States. Our daughter Julie said, I want to see my house one more time. So my wife said, we're on our way to the airport and we need to leave the hospital by 11.30. Didn't need to leave until much later. But she said, and they were on their way to the airport. She wasn't lying. We were just going to make a little detour on the way so that Julie would go home and speak to the people and they could see her. We got word at 3.30 that our tickets were finally ready. And you need to check in by 4 o'clock. And it takes a half hour to get to the airport. Do we need our tickets sooner? No. It would have been nice. But God did everything the way it needed to be done. And we got on that plane and we went to the States. And the initial days of her treatment went so fast that the doctors, well, at one point we just said, whoa. You didn't tell us this, you didn't tell us this, you didn't show us this. And they said, we've never gone this fast before in the process. Uh, let's take a step back and make sure we got everything covered. And then to see what they said was going to take three years, only take five months. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. That's just one story. I could tell you many more how God has answered prayer. Why? Because he's my heavenly father. Because I'm a part of his family. Because through the Holy Spirit, I have the power that I need to live the Christian life and do the things that God wants me to do. Because... He has rooted and grounded me in his love 
that is beyond description. And my God will answer prayer in a way that is more than necessary from a resource that will never be exhausted above and beyond anything I could hope or dream. All of this to bring glory to his name. He's our God. He says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you don't know. We have a great God. And the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage the people. And so today, I share this with you to encourage you. We have a great God who loves us with an everlasting love that will never fail and wants to take care of us in ways that we never dreamed possible. Let's learn to trust him. Let's learn to see his work. And let's see him accomplish his will. And let's be sure that he gets the glory for all the great things that he does. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be your children. Thank you for the way you answer prayer. Thank you for the love that you have shown in your son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that he gave us eternal life through his death and resurrection. And so, Father, we want to turn our focus on you, give you the glory, and submit ourselves to your will to accomplish the work you've given us to do in Jesus' name. Bowing your eyes closed.